Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to St Matthew's uh, today. It's really good to see you here. Uh, we're about to begin, so would you be on your feet as we stand and sing uh, together with our musos? Please stand and sing. Please take a seat. And I'll lead us in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought each one of us here this morning. And as we gather in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the presence of your Spirit, help us express our thanks and praise as we hear your word, as we sing your glory, as we pray to you, and as we seek to encourage each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a very warm welcome uh, to each of you this morning, both uh, those who are here in the, in the building and joining us online, and uh, especially to guests. Uh, we love having guests at St Matthew's, 
And my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, this morning we're well into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in our Kingdom Calling series. And today we hear Jesus once more being very provocative. A couple of things he says here are still a part of our language, turning the other cheek, loving your enemies. And uh, Scott will be preaching and seeking to help us find answers to questions like, do we really have to give up our right to retaliate, to seek damages, to even just be respected? Do we really have to? Does Jesus actually expect us to love our enemies, to seek what's good for them and to, to pray for those who persecute us? That's something to look forward to a little later in our service. Uh, this morning we'll also be having one of our, our wardens, Tim Holloway, uh, with us. Uh, Tim's here this morning and he'll be um, beginning a new part of our contributing member series. Uh, over the last four weeks we've been considering how to, how to contribute as a member of St Matthew's by serving in a whole variety of ways. And today Tim will begin this little series on contributing by giving. Uh, to ministry here and to our to, to mission around the world. So lots of really good things to, to look forward to in this service of the Lord's Supper. And we'll be sharing that and celebrating that later in the service. But right now we've got an opportunity to say out loud what it is we believe in our, in our minds and right down into our hearts about God and about his great love for us. So please join me as we recite the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I've got a chance to catch up on some news from St Matt's on the screen and then Tim will be speaking to us. fill out one of our online connect cards using these little cards. It could be a code on your screen now or in the seat in front of you, you'll find these ones. And that way we can give you a proper welcome or help you out in any way we can. So I've got a few announcements for you today. The first one is that if you're new or new wish among us, we're hosting The Scoop today, right after our 10 a.m., 5 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. services. After 10 and 5, you can find The Scoop just across the courtyard. Um, there where the old kids kitchen was and after 6.30 p.m. we'll be running it in the prayer chapel down the front of church. If you don't know what I'm on about, the scoop is a short and sweet chance over a free scoop of Anita Gelato to find out more about St. Matthews. It'll run probably for about 15 to 20 minutes and we'd just love to see you there and have a chat. The next thing is a celebration dinner. Now you might have heard about it over the past few weeks. 
but this is our last call for the celebration dinner because it's on on this Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night here at church. There are a few tickets left and I'm not joking. There's only a few tickets left, left. So please get yours today. Do not delay. You know who I'm talking to. Get yours today. They will sell out. They always do. They're $50 each and you can buy yours from the events page of our website. It's really easy to find along the top of the web page. You'll see events. You click on that. Or you can follow the link in the weekly email. There's a button you can press and purchase your ticket through there. Listen, if the price is holding you back, please contact the office and we'll find a way to get you there. It's just going to be such a great night together. There'll be good food, warm fellowship, new friendships and encouraging stories. If you've already bought your ticket, I'm talking to you now because there's some details that you need to know. The church doors open at 6.30 p.m. And there really is no need to arrive any earlier than that. We want you there 6.30 p.m., no earlier. If you'd like to bring along a bottle of wine or any other drink of choice, please feel free to do that. There will, however, be sparkling water on the tables provided. We also want to let you know that there isn't allocated seating per se, so come along ready to make some new acquaintances. It's just going to be a fantastic night and we really don't want you to miss out on it. We can't wait to see you there. Now, the last thing that I have for today is to wrap up the contributing member spots. We've had these over the past four weeks and we've really focused on serving. There's been a great response. Over 20 people showing an interest in pastoral care, about a dozen people showing interest in kids' church and kids' ministry. But to be very honest, it feels like we've only scratched the surface. Some of you might have missed the serving spots in the services altogether. Whatever the case, I'm here to let you know we would love to have you on board. So if you were yet to let us know that you'd like to serve in a pastoral care team or in a kids' church on Sundays or mini-mats playgroups midweek or in one of the behind-the-scenes areas like on sound or the data desk, helping with events in the Daly Smith building, will you please let, us, please let us know that you're interested in having that conversation again via the Connect card, these little things that you find in the seats in front of you. And if you're not currently serving, and you're sitting there thinking you probably ought to, you might be interested in serving in another way, like on our welcoming teams or our cooking teams. You can find out more by download, downloading or picking up your um, new Serving at St. Matthew's booklet. It looks like this. We've got them at the back of church. They're also online. You can also get in touch with us and we can send you one of these and we can talk you through different ways that you can serve. So it would just be terrific to have you as a contributor member here at St. Matthew's by serving somewhere in ministry. Thank you and enjoy your day in church. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Andrew said, my name is Tim. I'm one of the St. Matthew's wardens. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Kimmy and I uh, normally attend the 5 p.m. service. Uh, so it's rare that I come along to the 8 o'clock, but it's good to be with you all. Um, as Suzanne just mentioned, and over the past few weeks, you've been hearing quite a bit around the great ways to serve, to volunteer, to participate here. And as we continue to grow, especially over the last couple of years, serving is really a vital part of our Christian walk and part of the ch uh, church community. As we continue to explore being a, con a contributing member today, we are looking at our finances. Giving at St. Matthew's helps in a couple of ways. One is to support the facilities, keep the lights on, uh, and the daily operations, as well as supporting the salaries of our paid staff. 
Giving also supports our longer established ongoing mission partners, and in the coming weeks we will hear more about them, uh, in, including next week and beyond. Today I'm here to provide an update on our financial terms and uh, financial situation in terms of offertory, general giving, and our current budget status. So before we do look at the numbers, I do want to say on behalf of the wardens, the parish council, and the church staff, a very sincere thank you. A thank you to those that have given and have continued to give especially over the challenging last 14 months that we've all uh, gone through. When you came in today, you may have received a financial report that looks like this, which shows where we are three quarters of the way through the year uh, and through our budget cycle. And inside of that, conveniently located, is also a giving card. Uh, at some point, I'd, like you, I'd encourage you to re read the report in full. You don't have to do that now, but at your leisure. Um, but for now, we'll consider a few highlights. And so first, the good news. The staff are, are very aware of the challenging times that we're in uh, and have done any and all things that we can do to uh, be responsible with our spending. And as a result of those, uh, those efforts, we've reduced our overall spending uh, budget down from about 3.5%. Now the challenging news, and that's on the first line of the, the budget report, which is what we call our offertories. Although offertories have been steady throughout the year, they're not quite where we budgeted them to be. And as a result, we are currently behind in our offertories or our congregational giving by 6.8% or about $76,000. In addition to that, some of the other income streams are also a bit behind, leaving us with an operating deficit totaling about $96,000. You can see this figure at the bottom of the first column on the first page of the report. For this quarter, the, the, the quarter that we're now in, and for the rest of the year, we are looking to close this deficit by continuing to limit spending on one side, but also to seek an increase in giving. The next slide is our encouraging news, and there are really two things to be encouraged about. The church is again moving forward. Um, we are starting to grow again, and you may agree that there's a new rent, a renewed energy about the place, and there really is a lot to be thankful for. The next, as you heard in the spot as well, is that we are also encouraged by a number of new members joining. It's exciting to see new faces, new families coming along each week right across all of our services. And I hear that they're coming along for the quality of the teaching, the community, and for the worship. It certainly makes sense to me and continues to encourage all of us each week as we live out our church vision. So where does this leave us from a financial point of view? And this is the financial challenge. In simple terms, we need to close the gap. So on one side, we keep costs down, but we also look at increase in giving. So there are three ways to do so in the terms of how I look at it and how we've been looking at it. The first is pretty much short-term. The other two are longer-term uh, solutions. A short-term example is a simple one-off contribution. As an example, if we had 500 contributing members each contribute $196, that would cover the gap in the short-term. But with our one-off giving for missions, which is just around the corner, as well as looking at longer-term solutions, we are, really are looking for, uh, for the following two ways to solve this ongoing issue. The first is to increase our regular giving. If you are already giving, and if it is possible to increase this by 5 to 10%, this would help both in the short-term and in the longer-term. And we know full well that not everyone will be able to do this, and that's okay. But to those who can make an increase, that would be great. And I've heard that some are already doing so, and that's a terrific um, uh, opportunity for all of us. Thank you. The second way is to commence giving. If St. Matthew's is the place you do call your spiritual home and you are yet to financially contribute towards the running of the ministry, 
we would encourage you to start. In 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to 14, the Apostle Paul gives five reasons why church members should support the ministry that cares for them in the gospel. You can start today by filling in a giving card and committing to give regularly. You can place the card in the offertory box uh, near the front door. There's also online solutions on our St. Matthew's website that you can uh, uh, click into. Increasing and commencing giving are two ways to support the short and long-term ministry. There truly is a lot going on here at St. Matthew's. We're happy that you've come along to be a part of it. And if you have questions, I'll be around for morning tea after the service. Thank you very much. reading comes from Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 to 48. It can be found on page 970 in the Bibles.
You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, and uh, thanks so much, Julia. And uh, thank you also, Tim, for joining us this morning. If you could keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, that would be a great service to yourself, but also to me. I'm going to pray, and then we will get down to work. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your loving kindness in speaking to us through your scriptures, but um, eminently through your son. And uh, we want to hear his words and not just have them, I don't know, tickle our spirits, but actually change our lives. So help us to pay attention for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, we're going to begin this morning by a little game of fill in the blanks. So you fill in the blanks. God is so... You yell something out. God is so... Great. Okay, I'll take that. Any other takers? God is so... Good. <sighs> Bit of variation on great, folks, isn't it? That's okay. Uh, let's try it again. Um, Jesus is so... Caring. Kind. Are he loving, pure? Oh, thank you, Martin. Nice. Generous. Thank you, Brenda. Okay, this one, you just have to answer it in your own heads. Okay, Christians are such... In your own head. <laughs> now, what did you say? Uh, did you say hypocrites? Did you say dorks? <laughs> I said wusses. Wimps. Walkovers. Easy targets. All of the above. Christians are wusses, is what I said. And to be honest, I think Jesus is at least partly responsible for that. And to be specific, I think it's his words in our reading today that are responsible for that. How can he legitimately say, do not resist an evil person? Or turn the other cheek? I'm like, really? If we kind of saunter back, and, you know, sorry we have to do this, to the Pride Jersey saga and the infamous Manly Seven, how come it was the Christians who got pinned for not donning the rainbow jersey 
when a, a Muslim woman player in the AFLW called Hanin Sarika, seems like a really nice lady, but she did the exact same thing and not a word. And we said that the Manly Seven got off lightly, and if they'd in fact been white boys rather than islanders, it would have been even more severe. Now, we know from the Beatitudes, blessed are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness, that disciples of Jesus who live out his kingdom ethics will be persecuted. But don't you just reckon that Jesus adds fuel to the fire, making it harder and more dangerous by telling his followers to turn the other cheek? go the extra mile, to give the extra clothing, and so on? Has he built non-resistance into our DNA as Christians to such a degree that others take advantage of us more than they otherwise would because they know we won't fight back? I mean, what does it really mean anyway for us these days to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies? Well, that's, that's what we're thinking about this morning. Last week, Nathan suggested that he gets all the tricky topics like homosexuality and lusts and adultery. I want to say, Nathan, Bruce had to do transgender, you know? And I had to do hell and abortion and euthanasia. I mean, the scandalous stuff is shared around, which is really good. Today might seem less salacious than lusts, but is it any easier, do you think? Because if you follow Jesus' instructions literally, it will leave you beaten up it will leave you naked and it will leave you bankrupt. So let's see how that goes for us. We are, as Andrew said, about halfway through our Sermon on the Mount series called Kingdom Calling. And today is really the third part of an extended section on renewed relationships in Matthew 5, after we looked at some general principles at the start of the chapter. We've looked at anger and reconciliation. Last week we looked at lust and adultery and faithfulness. Today we're looking at... Uh, revenge and retaliation and how we respond when we've been wronged and once again it's very confronting i just want to structure today around the two main sections that julia brought to us in the reading the first we'll call turn the other cheek the second we'll call love your enemies very simple structure but it is far from simple in practice so brothers and sisters and friends let's get into it the first therefore is turn the other cheek in verses 38 to 42, where Jesus is teaching about how you respond when you've been wronged, when your rights and your conveniences have been trampled upon. What are our obligations in such a context? Well, it begins in verse 38 with that formulation that sounds very familiar to us by now. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Let's pick it up in our Bibles, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So familiar formulation, indeed familiar words in general. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament from Leviticus and Deuteronomy where he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I know we, we naturally have a dark read on that concept. It, it sounds like petty tit-for-tat revenge. Don't we prefer Mahatma Gandhi's version where he said, well, look, an eye for an eye only ends up making the whole world blind. At least, of course, we prefer the way that sounds, even if we're not prepared to put it into action. But here's the thing, friends, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, sometimes it was called the lex talionis, the law of retribution, was, in fact, a super wise way that God instructed his Old Testament people of Israel 
to ensure that there was appropriate and proportionate justice in society. This meant that those with less power actually received justice. And those with more power did not abuse that power to inflict greater retribution than was justified. It, it helped prevent those sort of blood feuds that start with, you maim my cow, I burn down your house, and end in centuries of bitter infighting and reprisals. So rather than enabling tit-for-tat revenge, it was kind of meant to restrict retribution. But here's the thing. It was designed for civil disputes rather than personal grievances, and it was meant to be administered by the courts rather than just being a free-for-all in interpersonal relations. So what was a very kind of sage and measured instrument of justice had given way to really a license for bitterness and revenge. It became an entitlement to get revenge in all sorts of situations. And into that context, Jesus says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, don't slap them back. You turn to them the other cheek. And friends, doesn't that sound so nice and noble? Until you've been whacked across the face. In Jesus' day, the backhander across the face was more about insult, actually, than physical injury. It was amongst the most insulting things you could do to someone. And you might remember that Jesus was slapped in the face in Matthew 26 when he was accused of blasphemy. And yet he says, turn to them the other cheek, ready to be slapped again. If someone sues you for your inner garment, your tunic or your shirt, give to them your outer garment, your cloak as well. Now that's interesting because the religious law in Exodus 22 forbade the confiscation of the cloak on kind of humanitarian grounds. You would perish of the cold without it. But here he says, no, you give it over. And if a Roman soldier, for example, forces you to to go one mile, perhaps carrying his luggage for him, as Roman soldiers were prone to do in those days, you happily go another mile and give to the one who wants to ask to borrow. <laughs> what a handy verse to roll out when we're giving a finance report. And I'm not even joking. Well, what is Jesus really saying? Because there is a degree of hyperbole here, isn't there? Like is that exaggeration to generate a response. Because if you literally put these commands into practice, you would be beaten up. You would have neither outer clothes or undergarments. <laughs> That's chilly and awkward. Uh, you'd be worn out from carrying a soldier's baggage and you'd have no money, at least if you get as many requests from charities as I seem to. So there is a degree of hyperbole, exaggeration. You can't kind of absolutize what he's saying. And these words aren't arguments for complete pacifism or for never taking up a position in the military, or the police, or the judicial system. You know, in several times, uh, several occasions in my time here at Manly, I've literally, like physically stood between a violent man and a woman he wanted to hurt. It's unfortunate that they're always younger and bigger than me, <laughs> I have to say. It's really not fair. And Jesus' words aren't saying, well, don't do that, Scott. And they're not saying, well, you can never refuse a beggar like when you know the money is just going straight to drink and drugs and so on. But they are saying that our rights to respect, our rights to retaliate aren't the most important thing for disciples of Jesus. You know, personal rights, they're at the very top of the food chain in our society, aren't they? I know my rights. It's one of the catch cries of our culture. I've heard three-year-olds say that. But Jesus says his followers are different. 
And just as Nathan shared, there's a, a yawning chasm between the sexual ethic of our society and the sexual ethic of Scripture that we looked at last week. There's also a yawning chasm between the sense of personal rights and entitlements, even to revenge in our culture, and this ethic of non-retaliation in Jesus' teaching. Now, it may well be my background as a writer and editor, but I find myself having a kind of an unspoken conversation with Jesus around these verses. As if to say, Jesus, if you just made a few changes here and there, I can help you with that, by the way, it will really tighten up your argument. And I reckon you're having the same subconscious conversation with him right now if you're paying attention. This is how it goes in my mind. Jesus, instead of saying, turn the other cheek, it would be, it would work better if you just said, don't retaliate, but make sure you protect yourself. And with the whole shirt cloak thing, wouldn't it be better to say, Lord, just give the person your shirt without making a fuss. After all, you can keep your cloak, which is worth more and can still keep you warm. And with the whole go the extra mile thing, why don't you just say, go with him the first mile without making a complaint. and Don't even mention the second mile thing. That'll really tighten up your overall argument. It'll make it much more believable. You're probably having that same conversation. But of course, we're talking to Jesus and rather he's talking to us. He's the king and he doesn't require editorial assistance from us. So we need to just jettison that inbuilt desire we have to retaliate and we need to be ready to absorb another insult when our friends and colleagues insult us when the newspaper editorials are just so one-eyed so incredibly unbalanced about the christian faith and its vast contribution to democracy and culture and justice and education and science and so on and we want to fight back with vitriol we don't need to Perhaps a well-timed calm word might be appropriate, but usually that's about it. And when we are tempted to enforce our societal assumption about the rights we're entitled to, whether that's the right to be respected or to be reimbursed or whatever it is, we just need to replace that with self-sacrificial suffering. Now, it doesn't mean that in every situation we should just be trampled upon. You will remember there were occasions in which Jesus resisted money changes in the temple and Pharisees in their hypocrisy. But really, friends, if it's always about you, and if your attitude is you always need to win, as in you always need to win for your sake, not for the sake of others, you always need to be respected, you need to prevail, you need to be proved right, well, that's a worldly ethic, isn't it? It's not, a, it's not a kingdom ethic. And instead of begrudging it when someone imposes upon our time and effort, we can actually accept it cheerfully and go beyond the initial request. We can give loan uh, or loan money or possessions, and we don't even need to ask that question which always seems to nag at us. What's in this for me? Surely I should receive something in this transaction. We don't have the right to retaliate. We don't have the right to seek vengeance even when we've been wronged or insulted or to be reimbursed. We don't have an inalienable right to be respected or even to our possessions and time and energy because in the kingdom of heaven, self-sacrifice replaces retaliation and rights. And that's okay. You know what? If you are secure in your status with God, you can care a whole lot less about what society thinks of you. When you will inherit the universe, and friends, that is the promise of the Beatitudes, 
it's okay if you lose some earthly riches, even temporarily. When you think of what Jesus endured for us in the poverty of his human life compared to the glory of heaven, and especially in the humiliation of his death on a cross, a little imposition from others does not seem too much to bear, does it? It's countercultural, but it is distinctively and authentically Christian. And as we switch gears from turning the other cheek to loving your enemies, it's less of a clunky gear change. You know, it's, it's not a 17-year-old's find it and grind it. It's more of a smooth move from fourth to fifth. Let's read from verse 43 together. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. <laughs> wow. So for the last time, friends, we, we hear that familiar formulation, you've heard that it was said. It's true, isn't it, that love your neighbors is straight out of Leviticus 19 in the Old Testament. Not quite sure about that teaching about hating your enemies, where that emerged from, but it doesn't matter because Jesus says, you love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you. And that really circles back to the very beginning of the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Blessed are you when you are persecuted, rejoice and be glad, verse 12. Now, in our country, we don't generally have histories of bitter and bloody tribal rivalry going back many centuries, although some of us have that in our cultural backgrounds. Some of us might have enemies in a very personal sense. Uh, that is, people have harmed you in various ways that have caused profound hurt. Others of us, we might just have this kind of broad and vague sense that we're not the good guys in society any, anymore and we're kind of on the outer. And it's all those contexts, Jesus instructs his followers to love enemies and pray for persecutors. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? And you think, what, what, what might that actually look like? Well, perhaps, and I really do suggest this tentatively because I don't know your exact scenario, but perhaps you could start with trying to understand your enemy. I mean, putting yourself in their shoes and, and asking the question, are they that different from you? Or would you be that different to them if you're in the same scenario as them, if you had the same life as them? Could you seek the best for them? Could you try to find something good in them? Perhaps even find some common ground? Perhaps even do something for them? It sounds so difficult, doesn't it? This week I read stories of Christians in Lebanon who are running shelters and camps for the Syrian refugees who had previously murdered their Lebanese family members. Where do you find the resources to do that? And of course it was Martin Luther King Jr. who personified this principle of a non-violent approach to civil rights of African Americans who said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. It may be you can do none of those things. You know, you can't find good in an enemy. You, you can't find common ground. You can't understand them. It may be that you can do nothing else but pray for your persecutors. In that case, Jesus says, you do that. And you will find in a strange way, it, it somehow softens your heart towards them. And it may even soften your interactions with them. That is, it may do something for them, but it will do, definitely do something good for you as you don't give 
yourself into bitterness and into hard-heartedness, but you entrust justice to God. Powerful thing to do. The question might not be how. The question might, of course, be why. Well, Jesus provides a couple of negative reasons there in verses 46 and 47, basically saying, anyone can be kind to their friends. I mean, come on. Anyone can do that to their own people. doesn't take anything special or anything distinctive to love the people who love you. I mean, anyone can do that. Even tax collectors, the most despised people in Israel, they could be gracious to their fellow tax collector mates. I mean, what does that prove? But in the positive, when you love your enemies in verse 45 and pray for your persecutors, you mimic your heavenly Father. Now, I have wondered this year what it might be like to be this man, Mick Schumacher, Formula One driver for the Haas team. He's currently on 12 points with a grand total of zero wins and zero podiums for the 2022 season. Now, just to give it a bit of perspective, Max Verstappen who's currently leading the standings, he has 416 points with 14 wins and 16 podium placings. Ouch. But you know, on the upside, mix up from last year where he got precisely zero points, zero wins, zero placings. Last year he came 19th, right now he's at 16th. Now many of you will know that Mick Schumacher has a father with the same name, Michael Schumacher, one of the greatest Formula One drivers of all time. Michael Schumacher has a joint record seven World Drivers' Championships. At the time of his retirement of the sport in 2012, he held the records for the most number of wins, that's 91, most number of pole positions, the most number of podium finishes, 155, and they've only just recently been broken, but he still holds the record for the most number of fastest laps. Now, friends, I just want you to imagine being a son of Michael Schumacher for a moment and being into motor racing. If you were son Mick, don't you reckon you would choose something completely different, like trampolining? The pressure of the surname, you know? The family legacy, just all that expectation. How could you ever live up to that? Well, it turns out you but if you think about it, Mick Schumacher is his father's son. He is on the grid in the most elite form of racing. He's behind the wheel. He is the 16th best driver in the world, and he's on the up and up. So not perfect, but he's in the race. Now, verse 45 tells us positively that when we love our enemies, when we pray for our persecutors, we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We are not as good friends but we are on the grid, we are in the race. Just as God sends sun and rain on believers and unbelievers alike, the righteous and the unrighteous in equal measure, when we love our enemies, we reflect Him. Sure, to be persecuted for the sake of God, that, that aligns us with the prophets of old. It told us that way back in verse 12, but to pray for our persecutors, not just to be persecuted, but to pray for them, that aligns us with the character of God himself, that we might be children of our Father in heaven. Of course, it also reflects the initiative of God who made the first moves towards us to forgive us when we were his enemies. And of course, it mimics the Lord Jesus who prayed for his executors. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do as they nailed him to the cross. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be like your Father in heaven.
Now that last verse, verse 48, I think functions less as a summary to this little section and more as a summary for the whole longer block in chapter 5. Let's read it together. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Seems like it's not quite enough just to be in the race, to be on the grid after all. It is a high calling, this kingdom calling, isn't it? We have a strong sense of our personal inability to meet the call. Which, of course, pushes us right back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in which we admit our spiritual poverty, in humility asking for forgiveness, rather than resting in our own self-righteousness. But Jesus doesn't finish this section with an instruction to be perfect, just to drive home our complete inability to do that. He finishes this way to urge us to keep at it, to not give up, to engage our hearts as well as the externals, to observe the spirit of the command as well as the letter of the law, to be transparent in our kingdom ethics, just as God is so beautifully transparent in his holiness, eliminating our religious hypocrisy and every spiritual sham within us. And friends, as we finish, when I think about that in its entirety, that we've looked at so far this term, as well as the specifics of today, I've got to conclude that Christians are not wusses, nor wimps, nor walkovers, because it requires strength to absorb insult again and again. And it requires great grace to jettison our desires for retaliation and revenge. And it requires discipline to resist firing back with venom either in person or online. And it requires such muscularity and humility to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors. So not wussy and not wimps and not walkovers by any stretch, but children of our Father in heaven, disciples of the Lord Jesus and citizens of the kingdom of heaven who take to our kingdom calling with all of our very hearts. Well, let's pray to God now. And friends, I've got up on the screen a... Um, actually, I'm not going to pray this now because we're going to do that in Lord's Supper, aren't we? Uh, I'm going to pray very briefly for us, friends, and then we're going to sing our next hymn. Heavenly Father, would you be with us as we aim to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, and pray for our persecutors. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our next hymn.
Um, Job said, after suffering terrible loss, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, there's been some rejoicing in our growth group over the last uh, few months. I think between us, uh, we've welcomed four little granddaughters into the world. And um, the latest one of those was uh, a little uh, daughter born to my son and his wife. Um, her, her name is Zoe. She was born on Thursday afternoon. Anyway, as I was driving up to the mountains to, um, uh, to help out with the family on Thursday afternoon, I got a call from Sue Wyatt. Uh, to let me know that our, our dear sister Pat Irving went to be with the Lord at pretty much the same time. Um, many of you will have known Pat for many years, much longer than me, and uh, most of those you, of you who know her will know that she's had a really tough journey uh, with cancer over the last couple of years. Um, a beautiful thing is that just in the last month or so, she made something of a recovery and was able to get out of um, the institution where she was being cared for. People saw her on the Corso here buying ice cream and that sort of thing, but the last couple of weeks have been really tough. And so it's a relief, really, that she's now with the Lord, that she's at rest, she's at peace. But of course she leaves behind those who, who loved her. And so in our prayers uh, today, we'll be giving thanks to God for Pat's life and praying for those uh, who grieve for her. Um, we're yet to finalise arrangements for her funeral service, which will be held here. It won't be this week. We'll let you know as soon as we've locked that in. I'm going to lead us in prayer first uh, for Pat and those around her and then for a, a, a number of other things. Our Lord, we do bless you because you are the one who gives and who takes away. We thank you for new life. Uh, we thank you for those four granddaughters that... Um, our growth group is welcomed into the world, and for little Zoe, uh, born on Thursday afternoon. And you take away, Lord, and blessed be your name. We praise you for your love uh, for Pat, that she came to realise many years ago, and for the way that you worked in her so that she was able to faithfully follow you and even just enjoy singing in palliative care, even in recent days, singing your praise. And Father, we thank you that she's now with you, which is far better for her. We praise you for your mercy to her. We pray for those who are close to her, to, for her sister Kath, uh, for almost her family, Lucy and uh, their little ones. Uh, we thank you for the things that Pat was able to give to the lives of others, so many little children at the preschool uh, here in Manly. But we pray for those who are left behind and we pray for, for, for your mercy on them that as the God of all comfort, you'd give them the comfort that they need daily. And we pray that as we draw together details for her service, uh, that service would be a fitting tribute to your goodness to her and a great opportunity for hearing reason for hope and comfort at a time like this. Friday was Remembrance Day here in Australia. So Father, we do remember men and women uh, who've fallen in war. Uh, we give you thanks for those who are willing to serve and make sacrifices for the sake of others. And we pray this morning, Father, for loved ones who are left behind and grieving. May your cloak of peace surround them and be a comfort to them each day. We pray for those who have fought and survived but struggle with the ugly aftermath of war. 
Lord, be with them and heal them. And Lord, would you grant us peace in our time? We especially pray for that, for the people of Ukraine. Lord, in this broken world, we pray for peace. We pray longing for that day when people of every language and race and nation will be brought together into the unity of the kingdom that Christ has brought into our world. We look forward to that day of new creation. And here in this world, Father, we pray that you would bless our homes. We pray you'd help parents to impart the knowledge of you to their children and that children would be able to respond by your spirit in love, uh, producing obedience to you. May our homes be blessed with peace and joy. And Lord, we pray that you'll look with mercy on all whom, for whom increasing years bring isolation and distress. Give them understanding helpers and the willingness to receive what is offered. And as their strength diminishes, increase their faith and their assurance of your love. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your love and mercy. Fill us with praise for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. May we live our lives in humble and joyful acceptance of your gracious gifts to us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, uh, we're going to share in the, the Lord's Supper together this morning. Uh, if you don't have one of these little communion packs, would you put, your, put up your hands so that um, the folks at the back can bring them around for you? Somebody over here? And down the front here, Tim. Is that you, Isabel? Yeah, good to see you. And over that side, we're all okay. Good. And I, I advise you, if you haven't done it already, to get ready and take the little plastic bit off the top so you've got the bread ready and the foil as well. So you've got the little cup that we'll all drink from shortly. And what we're doing in this little ceremony is we're recalling what it was that Jesus did with his disciples as he prepared to give himself over to the authorities. Was that a moment of being a, a wuss uh, when he allowed them to slap him, to torture him? Or was it the most magnificent act of courage and sacrifice? Uh, his disciples didn't understand as he shared the, the bread and the, the drink with them. And so he pointed to the bread and, and he described how, how the bread was pointing to his body, which would be given for them. And, and, and a, a, as he prepared to give them the cup, he helped them understand that a whole new covenant, a whole new way of God dealing with our race was about to become a reality in our world. Uh, the Bible puts it this way. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in a moment, we're going to share in the bread and uh, in the cup. 
But first we'll come humbly to God with a confession of sins. And this is a special prayer that that Scott has written for us today. As we humbly listen to the words of Jesus and as we reflect on what it means for us to turn the other cheek, uh, to love our enemy, to pray for those who persecute us. I wonder, Vicky, could we have the words? They're already up there. Just have a look through those words. And why don't you take a, a, a moment to to reflect on how you have responded to what Jesus has said and how you will respond to Jesus. And then we'll pray what is both a prayer of confession and repentance in which we pray for God's help so that we will actually be willing to do as Jesus commands. I'll give you 30 seconds. If you're ready to pray, please join me as we pray this prayer of confession. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us when we were your enemies. We praise you for calling us your children. Forgive us for not loving our enemies, for seeking revenge and being too concerned about our rights and our respect. Help us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies and to pray for our persecutors, just as Jesus did. Amen. And we have the reassurance of the scriptures that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And as we pray for God's help to live the way that Jesus called us to, we have the assurance that a part of the new covenant is the work of the Spirit in us, renewing us and enabling us to obey what he's called us to do. So let me lead us in prayer and then we'll, we'll share in the bread and the wine. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and commanded us to continue a remembrance of his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may be partakers of his body and his blood. So brothers and sisters, let's take the bread, and as we eat it, let's Feed on Christ in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And let's take the cup. And as we drink in remembrance of Christ's blood, let's remember that it was shed for us and be thankful. Shall we pray this prayer of thanksgiving and dedication? 
Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Give us, we have, so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we're all but finished for this morning. Uh, I'll just invite you out uh, to morning tea across the courtyard for our, for our guests. Uh, just follow everybody else uh, as they head out. Uh, if you are a guest, I'd love to meet you before you leave. So if you're leaving immediately, um, I'm going to make a run for the back there to, to, to say day to you before you go. Uh, it's been really good to have you with us. And for our, for our regular members, please do take home that uh, three-quarterly report. It may be that you're ready to, to take action today, or it may be that you, you need some time to consider. But take that with you and make that a matter of, uh, of uh, prayer and action uh, as you're able in the week to come. As we close, we're going to close with the words of the grace which are on the screen. Shall we bless each other in this way? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.